or what, what, what I should preach since I'm stepping here in, in the midst of a, a flow with different individuals uh, coming in and out over the next uh, couple of months and decided on this text that we're going to be looking at from 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 in view of the process you're now in as a church of, of seeking to identify those whom you believe the Lord Jesus has called potentially to serve uh, as elders or deacons, we're going to focus this morning on the role of elders as Peter speaks to that in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, it's not something we frequently do, uh, depending on the church. Some churches do this more freq- frequently than others, but it's an absolutely necessary role within the life of the church. And so we're going to be reminded of what the Bible says about that through through Peter, it often seems as though these roles function just in the background in the life of the church, uh, that the elder as well as the deacon are, are often uh, out of sight except for the pastor, and we'll talk about that role in relation to the elders, uh, but often it seems these roles function within the background or just out of sight in many ways week to week, but the Bible speaks of the elder as an absolutely essential a part of Jesus' ongoing care for the life of the church. And so I want us to reflect on that from, from 1 Peter, and especially as you, as a congregation, consider whom it is the Lord may be calling, who else the Lord may be calling to serve in that role in the life of this church. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Here towards the end of Peter's first epistle, he writes this. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your abundant care. Uh, You have spoken to us, as we'll participate in later. You you feed us with not only your word, but with the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. You tend to us through the many various relationships within the body of Christ and the gifts that you have distributed throughout the whole. And you care for us likewise through this unique role of elder within the life of the church. And so we pray that you would grant us better understanding of that role and and how it functions in relation to your role uh, as the good shepherd. Uh, We pray in your name. Amen. You may have uh, nicknames in your family that you use within the house but you don't use outside of the house because people wouldn't understand what you mean or what you're saying or who you're talking about, right? It has, it all makes sense in the home, Uh, but outside the home, people don't have a reference point for those other names that you use. 
Uh, my older brother had a nickname for me, and no one remembers the reference for it. The name was Gerd. He called me Gerd or the Gerd. And I'm sure it was derogatory. It wasn't meant to be nice. But years later, no one, not even my brother, remembers where it came from or, or how it became a nickname. Uh, within our family, uh, my son, when he was younger, I would call Boo. And I realized after a while that that came from a shortened form of Bud, which itself was shortened from Buddy. I would call him Buddy, and then Bud, and that became Boo for short. Or our daughter, uh, Lucy, who some of you have, have met, I often call her Luby. And the reason I call her Luby is because her fuller name is Lucy Elizabeth, Lucy Beth, Luby for short. But if you use these names outside of the home where they have a history, a context, and they make sense, you'll get strange looks. People won't know uh, what you're talking about. And the name of denominations are like that as well. Right? They're names that are common enough, but we don't really understand their origins or the significance of what's being said. Some of them are more familiar than others. Baptist, you know, it has something to do with baptism, but what? What, what about baptism? Why, why does that become the name for that grouping of, of churches? Or others that may seem even further distant from us and more unfamiliar, like Methodist, or Episcopal, or even Presbyterian. Now, um, as one who is a Presbyterian, I can say that the name itself doesn't capture everything we're about, or even the heart of what it is that we believe, but like most nicknames, it has a certain history, a certain origin in a, in a specific history. But here in 1 Peter, we have the opportunity to reflect on what it means and better understand what it is that uh, Peter is describing here and why it matters. The word Presbyterian, some of you know, comes from a Greek word that you find here in, in uh, chapter 5 of 1 Peter, and that word is presbyteros, and it's where we get the word elder from. It's the word translated elder here, and that's what the name Presbyterian is actually all about. In the course of history, it became a nickname of sorts for groupings of churches that became identified with the way that oversight and pastoral care functioned within the life of that church. Now, is that the most important thing? Well, no, it's not the most important thing. But it is something that matters, and it's what we see Peter speaking to here. Peter describes the role of elder here, of oversight, of shepherding. And as we'll see, and this is what I think is most vital to see, is that it's part of the larger picture of how Jesus cares for his church. That's why it matters. That's why the office of elder that he describes here matters, is because it's part of the larger picture of the care that Jesus himself provides for the church. And so that's what I want us to focus on first, is to see how this image is foremost about the care that God himself provides. God himself identifies himself as a shepherd for his people. God himself is a shepherd for his people. It's always first about God's relationship to us. And that's the very reason God gives shepherds to be a part of our care uh, among his people is because God identifies himself first as a shepherd. 
think of the scripture already woven through our worship uh, this morning from the very beginning, Psalm uh, 100, where we're described as the sheep of his pasture. Or we sung the, the 23rd Psalm where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. If you think back several weeks ago when uh, Pastor Huber was preaching through John chapter 10, where Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. The good shepherd who, he says, lays down his life for the sheep. And so here, when Peter picks up on that theme of shepherding and applies it in a very specific way in the life of the church, he's drawing from this much larger image of God's relationship with his people as a shepherd. His role within the life of the church is always first about God's relationship with his people. And any leadership within the life of the church, though it often does so poorly, but any leadership within the life of the church is supposed to reflect who God is in relationship to his people, the care that he provides for his people. And we see that here as the church in verse 2 is described as the flock of God. See, Peter here is reminding, maybe it seems subtle, but he's reminding these leaders and others in, these, in this church that these sheep are his sheep. I think for a minute about the relationship between a shepherd and sheep. It's a fairly one-sided relationship, isn't it? Uh, sheep are not thinking day to day about their shepherd, wondering I wonder, I wonder how the shepherd is doing today. I wonder how he's thinking, what he's thinking. I wonder how he's feeling. It doesn't enter into a sheep's small little mind to think about the shepherd. It's a one-way, it's a one-sided one relationship. It's not about who the sheep is for the shepherd. It's about who the shepherd is for the sheep, his care for them. And that's what God would have us understand as he uses this image for himself in his relationship with his people, that it's about not who we are for him, but it's about who he is for us. It's an image of his care. It's an image of his concern. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's a picture of really constant sacrificial care for, for these rather uh, unattractive and dirty little animals when you see them up close at least. I think for most of us, our experience with sheep is from a distance. Uh, maybe you see sheep as you drive by and they look cute, maybe from a distance, or maybe you see a video of sheep, but, but few of us at least frequently are, have the opportunity to be up close with them. In uh, my previous church, we had uh, a couple who had sheep, or at least they had pastures, and someone else had their sheep in, in their pastures, and I had the opportunity uh, to get close to those sheep, or at least as close as the sheep would allow me to get, because they're rather skittish little animals. And when you, when you get close, you see that they're not very attractive, as, at least as they look from a distance. They have funny-looking eyes, and, and these sheep, it was evident they, they, they didn't do a lot of self-care. I think that's generally true for sheep. Not a lot of self-care happening. They were rather dirty, uh, matted coats, not very attractive. And they left a mess wherever they went without apology. Uh, they, they didn't smell great. Uh, 
And it's not a very flattering comparison if you actually know sheep up close. And I think that's something that we have to take to heart. Uh, Maybe that's part of the reason God uses this image for his people. Shepherds provide sacrificial care for these unattractive and easily scattered animals, much of which goes unnoticed, all of which goes unthanked, but is absolutely necessary for their health and well-being. That's the job of the shepherd. Again, it's first about how God relates to us, and this image really comes to life in a flesh-and-blood way when Jesus himself comes. And that's who, Jesus, that's who Peter speaks to here, if you look at verse 4, where he describes Jesus as the chief shepherd. God is a shepherd, the Lord is a shepherd, is, is the good shepherd, and he sends Jesus the Son to gather his sheep, to gather his people, to lead them, to care for them, and even to give himself for them. Remember again in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, the point is we are the object of his sacrificial care. It's about who Jesus is for us. And I want to draw an implication from that for the way we think of elders and shepherds within the life of the church. Regardless of anyone else's role within the life of the church, Jesus remains the chief shepherd. And no one should ever presume to fill that role. And no one else should expect another to fill that role. You know, speaking as, as one who served as a pastor, one who's an elder, I, I can acknowledge that there are plenty of reasons, the more you got to know me, uh, that you could be disappointed in me. Weaknesses, failures, and I'm sure your elders would say the same about themselves. But there are times when dissatisfaction with our elders or our pastors may actually be a deeper sign that you are disappointed with Jesus himself and the way that he's determined to care for you. And we have to consider that. He is the chief shepherd. He is the one who's promised to provide for your care. Do you believe that he's done so? And do you believe that he can even do so with those whom he calls to serve in this way as elders, as shepherds within the life of the church. You know, back to what it means to be Presbyterian. This is actually one of the most basic principles of four Presbyterians that Jesus himself alone is the chief shepherd to whom all other shepherds serve under him and will give answer responsible to Jesus for the care of his sheep. And we'll talk more about that in the next point. But before we do, there's one other thing I want to point out about the shepherd's role, as Peter describes it here. Not only do shepherds provide care for the sheep, but a shepherd must also know the path he's leading the sheep on. And you get a sense of that here. Peter mentions it, and he actually mentions it throughout his epistle several times. And it's, it's, it's something that we see here as he describes the shepherd and the path that he leads them on, and it's a path that moves through suffering to glory. 
It's a path that moves through suffering to glory. If you have a Bible, you can look at the verses that just come before these, and up in in verse 12, Peter describes fiery trials uh, that have come upon this church, and that's true for any church, that fiery trials come, and he says there that we are sharing in Christ's sufferings that we might rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, that's the path that Peter is describing, and it's the path of Jesus' disciples that you find described throughout Scripture. It's always a path that moves through suffering and to glory. Think of what we sung in the 23rd Psalm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, you are with me. See, the shepherd doesn't lead you around the valley of the shadow of death. He leads you through it. The shepherd doesn't lead you around out of the way of suffering. He leads you through it as you follow Jesus who first suffered before entering into his glory. And here in verse 1, Peter describes himself as a witness to the sufferings of Christ And, he says, a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. It's not his yet, but he is a witness of Christ's sufferings as he hopes in this future glory. That's the path that we're on. And the Lord Jesus provides shepherds for us along the way, flesh and blood, to walk beside us. And that's really what the elder is to do. And that brings us to this next point where we'll talk more about that, this important element in the care that the Lord Jesus provides for his church through elders who work as shepherds under him. We know that God himself is a shepherd, Jesus is a shepherd, and as we understand his role, we'll better understand this role that exists within the church that Peter describes. You know, in Ephesians 4, Paul speaks of of pastors, the same word for shepherds here, And he describes pastors as actually a gift that the Lord Jesus has given to the church. When Jesus ascended, it says he gave gifts, and one of those gifts he describes as pastors. And so the question for you, as you're involved in this process of identifying, uh, nominating uh, men who may serve in this way within the life of the church, the question you're really asking is not so much, who do I think, who would I like to serve in this role, As much as you're asking prayerfully, Lord Jesus, who is it that you've provided as a gift for for our church to serve in this capacity? Who is it who reflects the grace of God in their own lives as they follow Jesus? Who is it whom he's gifted uniquely in, in, in places, as described in other places in Scripture, who can serve this way in the life of our church? You know, something worth noting here in in Peter's description are the various titles that he uses uh, to talk about this role. You know, we've mentioned elders here. Of course, again, that's where we get the word Presbyterian from. It's translated as as elder, that that word in the Greek. Uh, And it's it's a word simply that means older. Uh, And it became a, a title for someone who is in a position of authority. Uh, Another word here in verse 2, shepherd, again, is is used. It's where we get the word pastor. 
Again, it's the same, same word translated differently in different places. Also in verse 2, he says they're to exercise oversight. And that word oversight in Greek is the word episkopos. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. It's where we get the word episcopal. It's actually where we get the word bishop from. But what's interesting, and, and this is important as we look at what Peter is describing, each of these words, elder, shepherd, oversight, overseer, even bishop, all of those words Peter uses to describe one role within the life of the church, one office within the life of the church. Under the chief shepherd, elders serve as pastors or shepherds providing oversight in their care for the church. Peter isn't describing multiple roles. He's describing one role with these various functions. Now, more could be said about that, but one other important thing to point out is that God provides multiple shepherds for his flock. Notice that Peter, as he addresses them, He's not writing to an elder among you, just one pastor. He says to the elders among you. And this is another aspect of of what it means to be Presbyterian, that there's no one person at the top, or there is, but that person is Jesus himself. And then there are multiple others who serve under him in the life of the church in this capacity as elders or pastors or overseers. Uh, Think about uh, your church, this congregation here. Pastor Huber is an elder, but he's not your only pastor or your only elder. You have others who serve alongside of him. And what that means is that although Pastor Huber is away for a period of time on a sabbatical, you're not without a pastor. You have more whom the Lord Jesus has provided to tend and care for you to provide oversight in the life of this church. All of them are elders, pastors, serving together. And so as you consider future elders, one of the things you need to know, as I'm sure you do already, is that it's no honorary title. It describes real labor in the way that Peter speaks of it here. Again, if you look at verse 2, Peter exhorts these elders to exercise oversight not under compulsion, he says, but willingly, as God would have you eagerly, he says. And most of us don't know what we're getting into when we enter a new role. How, how many of us, if you're married, knew what you're really getting into when you said, I do, yes, I want to be your husband, your wife, right? We learn as we go. The same with having children, so much excitement and it's wonderful, but we, we don't realize the experience of the labor and all that's actually involved. Our new jobs are the same way. You have a career, something you desire to do, and you've spent so much time, so much energy, so much money preparing to do that very thing, and then you actually enter into that role, and it's a lot more difficult than you anticipated. It's real work. And the office of elder is no different. You never know all that you're getting into. And neither did any of Jesus' disciples. If you think of Peter, again, who wrote this letter, he's a good example. 
You read in John chapter 21, his final conversation with Jesus. Some of you may remember this. It's after Jesus' resurrection. It's before his ascension. If you remember, Peter has denied the Lord Jesus three times. Jesus appears to Peter after his resurrection, and if you remember, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. And Jesus replies, do you remember? He says, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus replies, tend my sheep. And then a third time, as many as Peter had denied Jesus, he asks him, Simon Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. You know everything. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Now what, what does that tell us? It says something about the motivation of those who would serve as shepherds as pastors over Jesus' flock. It's an elder's love for Jesus that makes him a faithful shepherd over God's flock, not domineering. As Peter says here in verse 3, there to be examples to the flock. Peter knew he could be nothing more than an example of one who needs great mercy from the Lord Jesus. And that's always foremost the examples that your elders are to hold before you. Those who themselves need grace and mercy. There's no substitute for the chief shepherd. Sheep may not be that pretty up close, but what we read here is that neither are shepherds. Yet nonetheless, God intends to use them for our care along the way. And this leads to the last point I want to make, and this will be more brief, but it's that the relationship between a shepherds and sheep that you see described here, those providing oversight and those who are under that oversight, requires great humility all around. Those, those who are the shepherds, as well as those who are the sheep, Peter describes, walk along the same path. Uh, elders may provide oversight, but they are not above nor are they beyond the sheep for whom they care. If you look at verse 2, Peter describes them as among you. Right? They, these elders are among the rest of the flock for whom they provide care. And notice how Peter himself uh, refers to himself as he addresses these, these elders. Here is Peter. Think of Peter. Peter the Apostle. Peter, one, one of the twelve. Peter, not only one of the twelve, but one of the three, along with James and John, who you read in the gospel, are with Jesus at, at these climactic moments, right? Who, who see and witness things that the rest of the twelve don't have opportunity to witness or see. But how does Peter refer to himself here as he addresses these elders? He simply refers to himself as a fellow elder. He doesn't exalt himself even above those whom he is exhorting here. And neither will any elder who truly understands the gospel, never exalting ourselves above those even whom we are exhorting. If you look here in verse 5, Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. All of you. 
It applies to those who are under the oversight of the elders, but it also applies to the elders who are providing that oversight. My first experience in ministry was working with high school students in Clemson, South Carolina. I had just graduated from college and uh, worked at that church for three years before moving up to Philadelphia to attend Westminster Theological Seminary. And there were some tough kids in that youth group, three in particular, uh, who within a few months of my arrival said, We're, you're not going to last six months here, <laughs> threatening me that they would, they would run me off. Now, uh, somewhat humorously, one of those, the worst of those now serves as a deacon in a church, and another is actually a pastor. But I remember within a few months going to the, the pastor of, of that church and, and complaining about these kids and as a wise and seasoned pastor, he looked at me with a smile on his face and said, yes, ministry would be a lot easier without all the people, wouldn't it? And that's all he needed to say. Because I needed to be reminded in that moment, of course, that's the very point. What, what else am I here for? The, any role in ministry is to provide care for the sheep, this flock of God whom Peter describes. I had begun to see some of them as frustrations in my life rather than the object of God's great care. And it's amazing how easily that can happen within the life of the church. But of course, it also requires humility from those whom Peter describes here in verse 5 as he calls them to be subject to the elders. He says, those who are younger be subject to the elders. Now, there's some who who question, what, who are these younger whom it's describing? Is it describing those who are literally younger? Or since he's described elder in this official capacity as, as this role within the church, is he describing younger as those who are under that, that oversight, under the oversight of the elders, more of a position in the church rather than about age? I think that's probably true. But either way, he's dealing with the temptation of the so-called younger those who are not the elder, but those who are the younger, to think they know better than the older, than the elder. When probably what is actually the case is they do not know all that the elder, the older, actually know. Isn't this what we do, kids, with our parents? As we scoff at the decisions they make, thinking we know better, or maybe we do this with professors or teachers or uh, our employers, we think we know more when in fact we probably don't know all the things that they know and have to take into consideration. And here Peter says, be humble. And we need grace for this too, don't we? And in fact, it's one of the things, one of the reasons that God has placed us together within the life of the church is to call forth grace from your life as you either have to provide this kind of oversight humbly not exalting yourself even as you exhort or whether you're called to place yourself under it it has to it calls forth grace from our lives as we entrust ourselves to the care that the lord jesus has provided neither the shepherd nor the sheep have arrived uh, both together are on the way and at times shepherds can't see much further than than the sheep and that's why we're called to entrust ourselves to the care of the Lord Jesus himself and what he has promised to do for us along the way as he leads us even through the valley of the shadow of death, even, even through suffering, 
to the glory that he's promised and that he's already attained through his resurrection. And so may we walk that way together. Let's pray. Gracious and almighty God, we thank you for your care. Uh, We thank you that you provide instruction for us, not only what you have done, but what you are doing. Uh, We thank you for the care that you provide very tangible through others in our lives, and and especially through these roles of, of elder as well as deacon. And I pray for this congregation as they consider those roles and who it is that you have provided to serve in those capacities. Uh, Lord, that uh, through those roles you would uh, care for us and you would call forth uh, ever greater grace uh, from our lives as we entrust ourselves to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As you see here, we have the